When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about the various rules that enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy Morris on Riftwake. And today we're here to talk to you about building a town. So as with many, many things regarding Dungeons and Dragons, this is a topic where Nathan and I have completely different approaches. So we're going to just have some back and forths and some arguments on the subject, most likely. So let's have fun with this and just dive right in. So I'll let you start, Nathan. What do you start with when you want to design a town? So typically when I design a town, right, um, what I focus on is first off, based off on its location and what I don't have currently, what it is, what is it known for? So like um, example is that Vanderville is the city of crime, uh, Delma is the city of magic, uh, Jardin is basically the starting city and the city where I just throw whatever shit I want into. Yeah, so so zooming out again. So you, well, not just you, but all people when designing a town. So let's actually zoom, just backtrack a little bit on second thought and talk about a little bit of big picture stuff, which is more my forte. So I'm going to talk a little. <laughs> No, that was rude. Edit that out. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to edit that out. <laughs> uh, anyway, step one in general of building a town, regardless of the style of world builder, is deciding what you need the town for, the purpose of the town. And exactly what you need can, well, can and will just completely influence what it is that you decide to put into it. So if you're just running a one-shot game, then you don't need a fully fleshed out town with known imports and exports and, you know, cultural features and, you know, the fancy side of things you might put in a town. You might just decide there is a general store and there's these two guys that don't like each other that you're meeting in between. And that's that you don't need to worry about a lot of the fine details. And even when you're in a long-term campaign, depending on what the town is determines how much detail you need for it. If it's just like a little fishing village that the party stops in, if they're on a ship, styled campaign and they just stop to resupply at a random place you might have you know the random you know town drunk who gives a warning about what sea creatures in the area you might have a wise barkeep or you know the handful if that 
of characters. And then they're just on their way and they don't need to know a lot of the details. On the other hand, you can, as is so often the case, also go the way that I tend to do things, which is have everything, every little detail figured out. And honestly, I'll elaborate a little bit more of what I mean by that later on. I just wanted to get the needs speech out before we dive in too deep. So sorry for interrupting. Back to you. Yes. So let's uh, talk about my process further. So after determining um, where to start off, which is basically a general thing that the town is known for, next thing you want to do, or what I do, is I determine what, okay, how is this thing, it's most of, uh, used to develop the town. For example, in Varna, it's the city of glass. It's known for its glass that's developed from the sand and all the buildings are glass. Um, Vanderville, it's about crime. And basically, the concept of it is that it was a town that was attacked by the demons and the prisoners managed to escape during this and took over the town. Henceforth, it's now known for crime. And this is why it's so crime-ridden because it's literally run and controlled by the crime there. Outside this, um, move, moving up out, outwards is... Um, so once I have this concept, I basically throw in a... I try to throw in two businesses, a inn and a store, generally speaking, and characters to run those two, and landmarks, at least two when, when it comes down to it. So like for example, Delma, that is the Arcana Scriptorium, and the um, basically the mosaic um, walkways that uh, shift and change to show the past and future, maybe. Um, for example... Jarden, it's known for its massive walls that are very high and um, yeah, it's known for its massive walls and also uh, being a bit more detailed. Um, it's known for its docks because it's the only major port city on the continent. So to sum up, you decide what you need the town for and you pick one overarching kind of theme for it of what you want the city to be known for and then you just fill in the details as you want or need them basically so what do you consider to be a sufficient amount of detail like how much space if you write it down would you say you devote to a particular town okay so optimally personally speaking i would like every single Space. No, because here's the thing, I'm very much, I don't care about the statistics as much as you, Remy, but the way I see it is that if my, my dream is basically I can show you a map of the town, I can tell you whose house is whose house, I can tell you what they work as, I can tell you this person, their life story, that's the dream, but not possible unless I'm fucking insane because that's thousands and thousands <laughs> and thousands of people right there, but, but. Personally, uh, the amount of detail that I typically aim for is a paragraph on basically one to five paragraphs straight up on basically if I were to take a camera, put it in the sky, shoot it down onto the city and have a day run by like an entire 24 hours run by what happens in the city? How does it look like from up here? What are the people doing? What are the 
every single part of the day what happens. So for example, in Dren, I describe how the doors of Dren open straight up in the morning to let in travelers and stuff like that. Uh, how the elevators move, how the buildings move within the city, how the workers go down to Undren at a certain time every day. Um, uh, describe in detail, okay, and like where are all the buildings coming from? You know, that kind of like, but uh, God eyes, uh, God eye view of the entire city and what's going on. And basically, through this, I can basically dis through this, I can distill a feeling, a feeling of the city very quickly. And I don't actually describe the whole thing when I am running it for my players. I just keep that thing that I wrote in mind whenever I'm doing anything. So. Effectively, I use maybe like a sentence or two or sentence or two of it, but this thing gives me a very good idea on what's happening and a very good idea of the space. And as you talked about that, that was yet another just good example of how we've talked about before that you are an inside out DM, meaning that you start at a point and just kind of build out from there, as well as the fact that you are indeed a story focused DM in that you don't think about the city size necessarily, or about any of the, you know, geological details or any of the anything numbers involved. Your focus and care is on the story and feel of the cities you build. Yeah. On the other hand, <laughs> I am completely opposite once again. So I am the outside in DM in that I think about the worldview of a place. So instead of just building a city, I built my world map first and then just looked at it and thought, okay, where would my cities be? So I thought about from the literal building perspective of things in that what is needed for a town to exist. So number one for a city to exist is water. You need a source of water, fresh water at that to survive. You need to grow food and you need to drink water to live. So with that in mind, I would pick the spots that would have good access to water for the most part. And then use that to think, okay, so those are the spots that have access to fresh water. Uh, what are the ones with more arable land that would make good cities? And then I would use the geography of my world to plot where a city would be. And looking at the world map, I would have, you know, my forests and mountains and such in place. So then I would have an idea of, okay, that city has access to the you know melting snow off of the mountains so they would be built near the mountain so that would potentially be a dwarven city that could carve into the mountain itself at using the underground rivers from the melting snow so then you'd have the dwarven mines would be the source of the wealth of the town and then if there's a nearby forest that this underwater river leads to then okay then that could be where the elven city would go nice and tucked away within the trees and if dwarven mining operations are throwing waste into the river before it gets to the elven city then i have a potential source of conflict between the two cities and i'll use geography and you know fantasy logic 
or at least Remy fantasy logic to think, okay, this is where things would go. And then this is how they would interact with each other. And then I go from that outside perspective, zooming in slowly, but surely to figure, okay, so then if there's this dwarven city that has access to huge amounts of wealth, then it would make sense then for that to be run by a king or a council of powerful oligarchs who want to try to keep that wealth in their own hands. Or it could be, you know, slightly more communist in that there's a huge amount of wealth. So does the dwarven just city as a whole decide to keep the wealth shared and that everyone is taken care of in the city? So using the resources at hand and the population that I decide on based on available resources and, you know, how old is the city that I also just decide on. I think about the logic of it to build the details of it, the rulership of it. And then once you have, you know, water and food taken care of, uh, would there be mundane or magical things to take care of? health and safety. So is there going to be a wall around the city? Are there things that a wall needs to keep out? Are there, you know, flying threats that would make a wall useless or underground threats if you're in a mountain? Like, do they stumble across, you know, some drow in their own city below the mountain? So I take that big picture view and then I just fill out the details as I go smaller and smaller, thinking about just the town I'm building at the moment, as well as its connections to other things around it. I have to say, one thing I did notice that I rather deviate outside of like everything is um, government. So one thing that I've realized is that you typically think about stuff that the party themselves, unless in very specific situations, will not interact with until much later in the campaign, for example, like government. So like how, what kind of government there is and so on and so forth, which I really do need to get around to um, actually writing because currently it's a bunch of faceless, generally governmenty, government, governmenty thing as of now. Um, that's how I do things because from, from my perspective, Whatever is at the ground level, whatever the player can see is the most important thing. So conveying a feeling, conveying all that stuff. And for you, it seems like having that massive structure of like monolithic proportions of like um, basically to ground it more into a space compared. Okay, so I, how, how I put it is that my case would be I create this bubble, a bubble of a team, a feeling, a concept, that kind of thing. So I generally bring across teams and stuff. As for you, Remy, you create a space, I would say. A space as in, like, um, there is a logic, there's a great deal of logic to your world and um, how things work. So I would say that it's, yeah, it's more grounded. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry, just a quick tangent. So... The way I developed into the arguably overly logical DM that I am is because I have complete faith for good reason that my players chaos balance out. (laughs) So at first I was a lot more 
loosey goosey in how I would do things. And then just the questions that my earliest players would ask before I actually did even build my own world. Just like, wait, so if a druid used plant growth, how much weed could I get within that square acre? or circle circle rather. So I, you know, would Google the yield rates and think about that and then realize, Hey, wait a minute. If someone, if a druid used that spell on something like rice or a normal food crop, that changes things a lot. So the weird questions that I would get asked and the weird decisions that my players made kind of just shaped me into wanting to have a more detailed system in place because as all long-term DMs do, honestly, even not long-term DMs, just anyone who DMs at all, quickly will realize the best laid plans will get fucked up by your players. Just flat out. I do have to say, the way that you have solved that issue compared to me is quite different. Because from me, right? Effectively, I'm the, oh, there's a terror in my thing. Let me take five stacks of duct tape and duct tape it all over and retcon everything <laughs> that's how it works so yeah but again that's also just a difference between us as storytellers too not just as dms which is that you have a particular story that you want to tell through the podcast through our interactions with riftwake while i am very much a sandbox dm where i'm just Here's the world go. Yeah, I, I think that that has to be a part of it because when it comes down to it, um, in truth, Riff Wake is actually a tale about um, how, uh, how I put it, how that even in a rather dark world, there can be good things at times. Very few, uh, because that's how I run things. Really? There are? Where are these alleged good things? Someday, someday, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, I like um, so that's effectively how I do it. But the difference between um, me and my plot-focused um, building compared to your sandbox space is that even though the actual world around the players is like okay, I would say that yeah, your yours has a larger area, so. Uh, to, to put it simply and mine has a more like closed off area but the thing is that it's about the general feel so I, th I think it's about going for a certain feeling uh, in this case so like for example your your setting the way you've done it right it's much easier for you to be like you can do anything because I plan most things that could like uh, certain systems in place I can refer to to answer any weird shit that happens in my case, is I'm trusting myself to use my own logic on the spot and being like, yes, you can do that. No, you can't do that. Or here's how you could do that instead. Yeah, that sums it up pretty well. Uh, so we've tangented quite a bit off of the more specific town purpose or building town. So let's zoom back in on that. <laughs> So there is actually a lot of very useful information 
in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, there's also a huge amount of third-party resources available. If you just Google D&D worldbuilding, you will find literal books on the topic. There is actually a World Builder's Guidebook that is in existence for Dungeons & Dragons worldbuilding. And there are many, many other books as well. Articles, resources are out there if you search for them. But from the Dungeon Master's Guide 5th edition alone... There's actually a list of questions on page 15 for settlements that is really good at just having 10 or so questions to really have you kind of focus in on the basic shape of a town that you're building. So uh, we're actually going to just kind of go through that now because it's useful. So first up, what purpose does it serve in your game? So thing that the opening question that we started with what do you need the settlement for what purpose in game does that particular settlement have do you just want to have a mining town in a particular mountain do you want to just have uh, humans encroaching on an elven forest and woodcutting what purpose you want the city to have what theme you want it to have is a very very good first question when you are designing a city I do, I do remember something um on that topic i would say that actually there's one point that i didn't actually cover previously which is another requirement to all my towns and cities is that they have to be memorable that's the reason why they have one specific thing that they're good at is because whenever people remember the place that they went to they don't think about uh they, they typically think about simple things like what happened there what did they do there and what it's known for so yeah Fire not instantly down glass, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And honestly, that's one of the things that I need to give you a lot of credit for in that, obviously, because I am an outside in DM, that is what I believe to be. Well, that at least is my preference of how I like a world to be built, because that's just the way that my brain works. However, it absolutely can lead to the fact that cities will definitely have less of a unique feel to them from my world because of the fact that because it is built with the logic of things in mind and that because of the fact that everything is so cosmopolitan and all the races are more mixed together that there is less standout while you do a much better job in building cities that have unique feel to them thanks um and I definitely think that it has helped. Um, I think in this one case, it's much more uh, useful in a show sort of setting. But I do. Um, one, one thing that does come to mind is working with other people who are skilled in different things. So uh, imagine if you had a inside out and outside in DMs working on a setting together. That's uh, <laughs> you, you could do this where you could have the outside in DM basically. Okay, here's where the things are. And then you can have the inside out DM be like, okay, this place is for this. And then the outside, outside in DM will be like, no, that's wrong. And then it's like, listen to me. It will make it much cooler if we do it my way. And they'll be like, yeah, that's how you can basically take the best of both if you don't end up killing each other. And that dynamic is why Nathan and I are co-hosts for this podcast. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to towns, though. So the next question that is worth thinking about uh, from the Dungeon Master's Guide, how big is it and who lives there? So this is actually one area where the deeper explanation in the book I disagree with. <gasps> Remy disagreeing with a rule? Shocker. <laughs> but it has a mention that there shouldn't be many cities larger than 25,000 people. And I heartily disagree with that idea because in a world where there are so goddamn many monsters everywhere, why wouldn't more people live in cities together where in case of a dragon attack, if you've got a city of a hundred thousand people, then you can just have, you know, massive anti-dragon ballistas on the walls to keep everybody safe. Well, if you've just got like a small town of, say, you know, 5,000 people, there's no way that such a town would really be able to afford the kind of defenses to keep out some of the stronger creatures of the world. Maybe they're all that. That's why there's so few. Uh, anyways, yeah. <laughs> I do have to say that in, in by by that logic of yours, Riftwing actually works quite well because as we as you have most people have seen on the show, there's actually only been a very few one or two instances where you actually see monsters outside of the demon attacks. Exactly. So part of the reason that cities exist, there's Two big reasons, I would say, and this is definitely a topic that could be debated, but my opinion. The two reasons that you band together in a city is for the sake of safety in numbers, as well as for distribution of labor. Like, oh, this guy is a really good farmer, but this guy makes the best horseshoes. So if you just have that guy grow the food and that guy make the horseshoes all day then the town is better off and just that scaled up a lot and you have a city you have people who have a specific job instead of having everyone do all of the things that they need for their families to survive and in a fantasy setting like Dungeons and Dragons where there is so many more safety concerns than we have in our world it would make sense for there to be a higher percentage of people, to me at least, that would want to live in a city. That definitely sounds like a very good reason for people to move to the cities. But I would posit something else is that um, there could be uh, situations where you could have other reasons why people don't want to go to the city. For example, there's one thing that uh, in modern day that we see a lot is just um, the loss of the, the village, like the, basically uh, that community. And especially in that time and age, right, it will be a lot stronger in villages and so on and so forth. And that could be a major reason why people want to live in smaller communities. Um, another thing is that cities in that age are very dangerous, actually, because um, crime could be a lot more dangerous with all these um, criminals could use magic as well to do terrible, terrible things. And you might find um, better safety in numbers in the village because everyone looks out for everyone. And that's basically uh, the major difference compared to a larger city setting. So you're actually skipping a little bit ahead on the list, but law enforcement is actually a thing that is worth thinking about when designing a town or city in that 
if you have a small village, then you're probably not going to have a rotation of guards to keep order just because you need those people to grow food so you can all survive. On the other hand, once you get into a larger town and then into cities and even a metropolis potentially, then you have enough people available to have law enforcement, to have permanent law enforcement agencies. And absolutely, in a large city, magical crime would be potentially quite prevalent because, I mean, it's real, real easy to do crimes with magic. I mean, first level spell disguise self can cause all kinds of shenanigans alone, or you could just do other crimes while looking like somebody else. It's really easy to commit magical crime. Anyway, but thinking about how you want order kept in your magical city is also worth thinking about. Because generally speaking, the guard in the monster manual really couldn't do a whole lot about that. So it's worth thinking about. And this is actually something that I also do use to flavor my towns, is that I think about, okay, there can't be all the adventurers and former adventurers that just continually scale up in power just forever. There has to be a point where some of them at least would say, holy shit, I almost died or my friend died. I'm going to retire because this is fucking dangerous. So what do those people do? So then you've got these leveled individuals out there in the world and a lot of them tend to kind of be adrenaline junkies for the most part. So it made sense in my eyes that a lot of former adventurers would potentially go into law enforcement. Definitely not all, but a number of them. So then you have like the captain of the guard by that point, who is, you know, a eighth level battle master fighter who has that kind of strategic mindset and significant combat ability. So if you have this large city and you've got someone like that, when most people aren't leveled, that person alone is a significant force multiplier. And then if you have that guy train up other guards to be, you know, level one fighters, level three fighters to actually get the training to be a significant threat, then you have the amount of force and the action economy at that point to stop most mundane level crime and then you could have like a task force in the city of like the magic cops so matt how cool you could have an entire campaign of just a group a party in the city that are just the magic cops and their whole job is to just try to put out all those fires both literally and figuratively caused by magical crime i I, I'm imagining right right now. Can you imagine this? Just okay. So you go in, and effectively, there's this hotshot uh, captain of this uh, magical guard, uh, and effectively, effectively, can you imagine? It's like um, they use the same thing that typically in settings where magic is outlawed, they basically have this thing where it's like senses magic, and then they got to kill whatever did it. Um, but they have something similar, and effectively they do that with magic and whenever there's a case where they detect the kind of magic that would spell crime possibly they basically head over to like they get someone to check on it and then they head over there and 
imagine them walking down the street would be bloody cool. I, I'm imagining them like sort of like um like uh cape like what, what do you call that? Basically like trench coat kind of thing. Where and um all sorts of I, I don't know. Why why am I imagining them with guns? <laughs> it just seems so okay, cool. So you're thinking like a uh, Wild West Sheriff, I think, is where you're going. No, 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 no. No, I'm 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 thinking like um if you were to draw make make a a Warhammer 40k Inquisitor look fantasy. All right, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, and just like teams. Oh, uh, so another note, actually, uh, kind of a tangent on law enforcement, but kind of related. Something to think about in terms of making certain towns more unique, or just using this full out everywhere. Are or is magic legal? Like, is there, say, a ban on fire magic? Whenever you're in the city, because fire plus city equals bad. <laughs> so is it illegal to have any fire magic cast within the city? And then is that like a fine if you're just playing with a cantrip or is that, you know, a potential serious crime? Thinking about, OK, what different laws might exist in a world of magic? Also keeping in mind that you have zone of truth as a spell that exists, which makes it a lot easier to catch criminals because so much of crime is gotten away with because of proof or lack of proof. So having the zone of truth spell, if you just have that permanently cast on the courthouse and then any crime can just be cleared up of, okay, yeah, I killed that guy for blah, blah, blah reasons. And then it can just be punished accordingly to why the person was killed or why the theft was done or how much of the theft was or zone of truth can potentially change the world so that i won't get into too much detail but it's fun to think about in my opinion it ruins everything it ruins all the tension. It ruins a possible dramatic moment. It ruins all the investigation that you could be doing. But that's the thing. Investigation uh. is still needed because you still need to find the relevant person or people. And that's the hard part. Yeah, but still. That's right, a so lot that, of... that could be a whole separate debate. We'll yeah. just agree to disagree Definitely. on that for the moment. I think it's neat. And then it just puts the focus on other parts. Anyway, uh, we are definitely running long, so let's just zoom through this a little bit faster now. Uh, how big is it? Who lives there? So do the races in the world live together, or is there like Dwarven City, Elven City, or is it everybody together and it's just like 50% human, you know, 10% gnome, 10% dwarf, like is it more mixed? Is it more isolated? What is the spread of who lives where just something to think about uh moving on uh what does it look smell and sound like ha <laughs> okay welcome to disney world i guess <laughs> i mean that's one major part that i do use when i'm creating my talents <laughs> yes, and stuff you do. it's part of that starting paragraph you do and you're good at that one uh, next up who governs it who else holds power is it part of a larger state so this is definitely something that i think too much about is how is the city run how is it founded even is the thing that i like to think about 
So is it a single, a single ruler? How are they chosen? Uh, how can they be removed from office is a uh, relevant modern thought. So on my mind, um, you know, who else holds power? Okay, if there is a single ruler or a council, then is there also let's say a crime syndicate that has a lot of power in the city uh, for the single ruler. Is there an advisory council who are gaining more power than they're supposed to have? Then is it part of a larger state? Is it a city that is a part of a kingdom or is it an independent city? That is absolutely worth thinking about when doing the world building side of things in that if you want to have larger kingdoms that have multiple cities or whether you want each city to be its own government, that can change kind of the feel as well as the interactions between cities once you get to that point in the game, if you decide that is a thing you're interested in, of course. I have my biases, I know. Uh, what are the city's defenses? So again, does your city have a wall? Does it have, you know, a magical barrier of some kind that just keeps it protected or hidden or something like that? Uh, is it just, you know, some wooden spikes just around it for some little hamlet? What keeps it safe? Because there's a lot of dangers out there. Some examples would be um, Delma. Um, those magical floaty shards uh, go pew pew at the demons. It's pretty cool. And <laughs> the walls of Jordan are pretty freaking massive. That, that, that's my entire bit. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm giving you shit for no reason again. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, where do characters go to find the goods and services they need? This is very much a topic where I have a problem. Generally speaking, you need an inn, a general store. You don't need to f have like a leather worker and a shoemaker and a hat maker and all of the many, many things that exist. Could you do that? Yes. Have I done that? Yes. Did I need to do that? No. Make what you need. <laughs> I, I do have to say for that part, uh, what, what's most important in my personal experience is not actually the places. It's about the people that are in it that you remember. For example, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember Doric and Sally. Um, uh, you can remember Teresa now because she... She she's not a character that has a lot of history on the show, um, so on and so forth. You need people. You don't want to just know a place or what it can do, but for the people. Who Thank are you. There. That actually is a very good point. I've been focusing more on the city itself, but what makes a city is its people. So as well as just deciding what you need, it is arguably more important to figure out who lives there. Who are the people that are interacting with your characters? Who are its shopkeepers? Who are the people that are just sitting in the inn? Who are the people that you or your characters will run into? All right. Uh, what temples and other organizations feature prominently? Makes sense. If you're in a particularly religious 
town that influences the feel as well as what is available to do within the town or the other organizations. Is there a crime syndicate? Is there an adventurer's guild? Is there a newspaper? Uh, I'm just pulling from the patrons list at this point. Uh, Just thinking about what organizations exist in general is yet another way to think about just what is the feel of the town that your adventurers will run into. One example of this is that all the interactions with Father Cosmbury uh, basically revealed that the church is actually quite powerful within the town of uh, the city of Dren because their coffers Indeed. were quite full. And it's that kind of thing that basically you're not really paying attention to it, but hints towards that. All right. What fantastic elements distinguish it from an ordinary town? This is yet another one that you're quite good at with the giant walls, with the pew-pew shards. <laughs> Just what, so D&D is a fantasy world, and something that I, as well as a lot of other more logical dungeon masters, don't do as well at is incorporating more of the fantastic elements to make it fantasy to make it fantastical so i think oh wait a minute so if you have you know a magic item that gives infinite water the the decanter of endless water then you could use a bunch of those to just fill up a water tower and yeah that's useful from the world building side of things in my mind but it's not fun it's not interesting it doesn't give that much style because the characters aren't likely to ever really run into that I do have to say, um, when it comes to realism and stuff like that, yes, definitely these fantastical elements are not realistic, but you have to understand, everything comes at a price. So, the walls of um, Jardin. There's one thing (laughs) that I did note, is that outside them, there are lots of slums, because um, people had to build the wall, and after a wall was built and all the demons are gone, well... All those jobs are gone now, so... Yeah. Bringing up the final question for tonight, why should the characters care about the settlement? So all of these things together, you could make this whole big thing, but all that really matters in the end is do the characters care about anything here you could build an amazing city with 10 pages of notes and even more in your own head and it doesn't matter if the character is just eh but we want to go to the the next city for our current quest so we don't want to stop there and they just move right on past so in any city that you build I don't know why they put this question last, because arguably that should be one of the first, is why should the characters care? And this is also one thing where backstories can potentially come into play, in that giving characters ties to various places in the world and characters in various places is one way you could go about that. But in general, to just know what your characters want and giving them plot hooks to tempt them along to just see some of the fun and interesting things that you've put in the world. I would actually like to um, add on to that where in, in my, from my viewpoint, 
that isn't actually the characters that you want to draw in. It's the players that you want to draw in. You want to create something, something that will grab the attention of your players. For example, uh, Mitch was captured uh, by the idea of Dren, how dynamic it seemed, how basically it's a feeling of a place. And there's other things that tie people to a place. So um, like make people want to see it more. It's like you need to create a plot hook of some sort that basically captures their attention long enough for them to see the place and feel how it is in order to be like, okay, I understand what this place is now. And as they go with the plot hook, they basically are now more and more coming to terms with what this place is. All right. So... Uh, that was the last question. Now, just one more statement before we wrap up. Uh, in the Dungeon Master's Guide, page 112 has a whole lot of charts. And I do love me some charts. So throughout all of that, there is all kinds of useful stuff for world building. And I'm stretching out my sentence because I can't find the page that fast. Uh, there we go. So there is all kinds of stuff here from how well do the races within the town get along? How well liked is the ruler and what is their rulership style? Uh, what are the notable traits of the city? What is the city known for? And what is the current calamity within the city? So all of these things together can really easily give you the basics of a town that you can just flesh out through the various things that we've talked about. So I'm fairly confident that this has been our longest episode by a good amount. So thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tier starts as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Riffwake Podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules at gmail.com. Have a good one. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.